And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're thankful that you're here today with us. We really appreciate it. We're glad we can be back from vacation and so forth, and hope that you were able to listen last week to the recorded show. But today's show is a live show, so you can call Gary and I and uh, have a conversation with us or get a hold of us in some other way. Uh, as you just heard, uh, this show is called We Are Just Christians. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And Gary Jones, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Mike. Gary Jones is the other host, and he is uh, also an elder here at the church. And so we take your calls, comments, and questions about spiritual matters. And pretty much when if you define spirituality the way that I do it, pretty much involves all of life. And uh, we believe that being a Christian is more than just, you know, what you choose to do on a particular Sunday morning, but it involves everything in a person's life, because that's the, what the New Testament defines it as. So this show is about going back past all the traditions, whether they're secular traditions, whether they're religious traditions, and go back to what God said in his word, man ought to do and ought to be, both in the church as a, as a collective and as individuals. So we're trying to get past all of that because, as Gary often points out, well, you have your verse right there, Gary. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, critical, looking, I'm looking for it right now. Is that the words of Christ are going to be what judges us. And so we need to take that into consideration. And so Gary and I spend time on this show trying to introduce this community and those who listen to the idea of being just a Christian, <clears throat> not part of either some man-made denomination, some self-made religion, or some uh, worldly idea about spirituality, or the lack thereof, but to point you back to the scriptures, because that's where life is. So we invite you to call us. Uh, we can, you can reach us, and, and we love to get calls from people, whether you are a believer or unbeliever, we love to get calls from you. But you can reach us at 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. One five nine zero is the number to reach us here in Port St. Lucie or really all around the world. You can call that number and you can talk to us this morning. And we'd appreciate you doing that. We'd love to have you do that. You can also reach us by text message either right now during the show. And I'll try to follow along. We've already got a couple that I'm having trouble getting my act together this morning and trying to follow along with that. But we'd love to hear from you by text also if that's more convenient. You can reach me me, and Gary at different text numbers. Mike's text number is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. Gary's text number is 772-260-6220. Very similar. Accidental, but similar. 772-260-6220. Yeah, we, we both got... Nextel cell phones, probably around the same time. And there weren't that many in Martin County, probably at that time. Right. So we got conse almost consecutive numbers. This was 25 years ago. I don't even know how long, Gary. <laughs> oh, no. The late close, 90s. No, it was closer to 30 years ago. Yeah, I could say late 90s, maybe your mid 90s anyway. It's a long time. Uh, but in any event, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you. If you call in today, we, we make a couple of, one, we've had a couple of ground rules. Number one, uh, we're going to let you have the last word or whatever said, so we're not here to argue with you. We're not here to embarrass you. We are going to feel free to disagree with you, though, and you can feel free to disagree with us, and we're going to have a conversation about that, and we'll try to give you, if, we, if it's at all possible, we're going to try to give you a, a Bible reason for our answer, something you can look up in the Scriptures and, that brings and think about for yourself. I'll say you found the verse. Yeah, I found okay. the verse, and, right. and if you're out there listening and you have your Bible open, this is one of the very few verses that I would recommend that you underline or highlight in your Bible. It is from the Gospel of John. It is in John chapter 12, and it is verse 48. Jesus is speaking, and he says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Right. And that's, that's the premise of this show. God's exactly. word will judge us in the last day when we meet him, when we're called, when he says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, no matter who you are or what you believe here on this earth, 
that's what he says will happen, and that word right. that Jesus spoke will be the standard by which you will be judged. Yes. So that's the um, – John just texted in, just don't use a Sharpie. Well, I don't know what exactly what John means, but I know this. I did hear of a lady who used a pen knife to underline her verses, and so she cut out the verses on baptism that she didn't like. And then she could honestly say and show you that's not in my Bible because she had cut them out with a knife. So, you know, some people do that to the word of God, Gary, when they don't agree with it. They agree with their their philosophy. I think John's giving us some practical advice here. He said Sharpies will bleed through three pages, and maybe that's true. And I've seen people have so many color markers in their Bible, I don't know how they can read it. Uh, you know. And that's the trouble when you first put a highlighter in the hands of a high school student who's really stu- uh, studious and conscientious. They pretty much start highlighting, highlighting everything well, on the that, page, that's why and I that's not really the way it's – this is one of the very few verses that I would underline. There are not very many verses in the Bible that yeah. really stand out to how we should work and try to understand. This is one of them. Right. Well, it, it's uh, we're not here to tell you how many verses you should that you should highlight, but we are here to talk about what those verses mean and and uh, different people I guess study different ways. Well, we were just kind of joking about some of that. I know people take. Oh, they said you shouldn't highlight your Bible. No, that you're really trying to don't try, don't try to misunderstand this. It's easy enough to do it. To, to it's easy enough for us to miscommunicate without right. you trying to misunderstand. How's that well, sound? What, what we're saying is this is a very important <laughs> verse in the Bible to us. Well, it is. I think it's a it's part of the premise of this show that we ought to understand is that we're te- we're saying that the Bible is of course uh, inspired. And it is something that we should be able to uh, to look at and come to some understanding. All right, so we have a couple of people on the line. So we're going to go to those calls first, and uh, I guess I think we'll go to Jerry first. That's the first indication I had that someone's on the line. So, Jerry, are you there? Uh, thank you, Mike, for taking my call. And, Gary, uh, I was wondering uh, uh, the kosher koi. Uh, my grandmother had no kosher koi. And she told me it had biblical meaning. And when I got down here to Florida, there was an animal hospital called Akosha, and there was a picture of a tree, a kosher tree on the uh, front door. And I understand it's very hard wood. And I wondered if a marble uh, had been uh, hung by a kosher tree, if if that's what the biblical meaning was. And I'd like to listen off LWK Mike. Okay, Jerry, let me ask you this before you hang up. What Are you saying kosher? No, or kosher. Uh, A-C-A-C-A. Oh, acacia. Okay. Acacia. That's what I was listening to. Make, I, I, I thought I misunderstood you. Okay, so let me think about that for a minute. Uh, the uh, acacia. I'm try, I'm, something's coming to my mind, Gary. But it's not uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta not what I think about. I thought he said my mind went off in a whole different direction, Jerry. I thought you said kosher, so I'm yeah. thinking about uh, about that. Uh, you know, you know, one of the I will say this in general uh, about Bible plants and animals also too is that we have a lot of uncertainty about specific kinds of what plants and animals are. For example, the Bible speaks of Jesus and Zac- or Zacchaeus getting up into a sycamore tree. Usually it's called that in the King James, at least, in a sycamore tree to see Jesus because he was a very short man of stature. Well, we had a sycamore growing up in Ohio. We had a sycamore tree off in the woods behind the house. It was a huge tree, and there were sycamores everywhere. But And I kind of thought that was what a sycamore tree was, but it wasn't that at all. King James translators, which kind of formed a foundation for a lot of succeeding translations, used sometimes, they didn't know, they didn't know what what, uh, gopher wood was, for example. Now, they left that one as it was, but some of the others, they would kind of put in uh, English or European trees and plants and things like colors, 
that they had stones that they would hazard a guess that they would has they weren't they weren't trying to deceive i think they were trying to do the best they could to convey the meaning of the text and so the truth is we really don't know what a lot of these things were uh at that time we can't be sure about them and then they come down to us and since even the king james the meaning of some of these kinds of things has been um what am i trying to say we we've even got newer meanings for some of these things now i i guess uh john has just texted in um if i can go back to that somehow i've lost that here in front of me uh exodus i i was looking up the idea of vacation in the bible and there's quite a bit of that in the by quite a few references as far as especially during especially the tabernacle and the ark but exodus 35 24 is what uh, john texted in so let's take a look at that um and see what the reference there is, Exodus. Oh, I'm gonna. Uh, one one thing I'd say, Mike, while you're looking that up, is I did look in the. Uh, I did come across the acacia, the Florida acacia. Uh, the, what they call the Florida acacia, and the photographs that I have here, I haven't read everything, so I don't know how, how well to take this or not, but it does not appear to be a very large tree. No, I don't think it is a large tree from what I know. Uh, well, the Florida acacia is not. Uh, they, um, there are other kinds of acacia. Now, I planted in, I lived in Fort Lauderdale, and I planted what was called an acacia tree in Florida, down in South Florida, and it, it got to be 25, 30 feet high. It wasn't huge, but it grew real quickly, had yellow blossoms, so forth and so on. But I, I have no idea whether that's the same wood in the Bible that they were told to use. I'd have to look look that up. Now, there's, but, an, there's another one, the uh, umbrella thorn acacia, and that photographs of that look like it could be a fairly big tree. Right. Well, you have to have a tree. See, a lot of the acacia was most commonly found in the Bible, from what I can remember and what I can tell by even looking it up right now, as a... Uh, a, a wood that was used in the building of the Ark of the Co- the Tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and so forth. Well, this thorn acacia looks like it's got large, strong branches. Well, it. it also has thorns on it. Yeah. To, and some of them do. And uh, the shatim tree, shatim tree or acacia tree is how you'd find it in, uh, in the original language. Now, I don't think they have those in England, so they put a word acacia in there, and then and it's used for a lot of different kinds of trees. Now, I, I'm not the only way. Jer, if, if I understand Jerry's question, is it a particularly uh, tree that's cursed, or is a wicked tree? I think the language he used. I can't find anything like that that I know of in the Bible, but I do know that the wood was specified to be used in the building of the ark the Ark of the Covenant, not the Ark of Noah, but the Ark of the Covenant, and in some of the temple work. And you can read dozens of references. Oh, oh, and the Exodus. Book of Exodus is filled with 30 or 40 references to it. Got a and couple so of mentions in Numbers. Right. Uh, there were acacia groves. The groves were used for worship. Uh, uh, basically, Deuteronomy. Is, and it, be- it became a... I think... Probably thinking about what the, Jerry's question, and we're going to move on to Ken, another call in just a moment. But um, I think it became associated in some versions of the Bible with idol worship later in Israel's history because they would worship these idols in the acacia groves. Yes. And so Asherah, Ashtaroth, as it's often called, or in the King James, just called the grove, was a place where they worshipped the female god, fertility goddesses of the land of Palestine among the people there, the Canaanites, were worshipped in these acacia groves uh, to this goddess. And so it became kind of a symbol or a, associated with idolatry, which was cursed by the Bible. I mean, you have, you have a lot of uh, pagan myths and stories associated that associate female goddesses with trees i think even this movie willow that was out some years ago which for children had a 
is it Willow or one of these others had a female tree that was a goddess and all the kids would hang around this tree. I, you know, you have a lot of this kind of stuff in mythology and even in children's stories. And that's probably where this association came with. Now, I can't find any reference to the idea of acacia in the New Testament. I didn't know of one. I just checked no, it and looked it up. No, it, it, and there just isn't any reference to it. So I, it is a wood associated with building the ark and the tabernacle. Why God chose the different, like almonds and pomegranates and palms and different kinds of woods and colors to be used in the ark is somewhat a matter of conjecture. We know that God did tell them to build the tapestries and the woods and, and use certain kinds of woods made a certain way and the gold and the silver and the bronze. But he just doesn't tell us why he did that. I do believe it had a meaning. And the rabbis tried to deduce the meanings of these various colors and fruits and and uh, woods, but they certainly weren't basing their conclusions on anything that's found in the text as to what the meaning is. So I'm reluctant to say this is what it means and this is what this number means, this is what this color means, to be certain about that if unless the text tells me what it is. you know. And yet sometimes we can make pretty good conclusions about it by the way it's used. Uh, so what? acacia, I don't think there's any magical power to acacia wood. There's not any evil power in acacia wood. Well, it does seem to be associated with the stumbling of the people, at least in one place. Micah 6 and 5 uh, connects it connects yes. an acacia grove to Balaam and Balak who deceived the children of Israel. And, and that's because these groves of these types of trees were found throughout Israel. They tend to grow apparently in high places where the pagans like to worship their gods and goddesses. And so it came to be associated with paganism and with idolatry. But God used the same wood in his temple and in the, and in the tabernacle. So I can't say that inherently it is some kind of evil thing. And that's probably where the negative association came with. But then again, Jerry, I will tell you, I've got a grand, I was looking at my newest little grandson the other day. He is got reddish hair. He's got, you know, blue eyes. He's probably going to be left-handed. And, you know, if you're a superstitious Catholic, being left-handed with red hair is two, two strikes against you. And blue eyes. And blue <laughs> eyes is probably, is not normal either. So you got all these strikes against him just because of those kind of superstitions. I don't buy into that kind of stuff. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that kind of stuff, that being left-handed is some kind of a curse. Well, it is a curse, but not from God. It's more of a curse from your right-handers. Uh, but having uh, blue eyes or uh, red hair, you know, you play Bible trivia game, you know, the big Bible trivia, we play it all the time. One of the questions is, you know, uh, what color was Judas's hair? In Bible <laughs> trivia, and the answer is red, according to Bible trivia. But you can search high and low in the Bible, and you won't, find and you won't ever find any reference to Judas's hair, whatever color it might be. But that's what tradition says. So you'll find some of the answers in the so-called Bible trivia game were traditional answers. I don't believe in that tradition is authoritative. Might have something to say, could be true, but it's not authoritative. So I'm not going to recommend it to you or teach you. Might that, not be true. That, that, that it might not be true either, and I, I don't have any reason to think that red hair since God made red hair, that it's some kind of a bad thing. Um, anyway, uh, we're off the subject, but I don't think there's anything negative about acacia wood. Now, another interesting word I thought I heard him say was kosher. That's a whole different subject, but interesting subject, but we're not going to go there because we have Ken on the line. Okay. Are you there, Ken? No, you want to say anything else? No, about no, that? go ahead. Go ahead. Are you there, Ken? Yeah, Mike, I'm here. Th thanks for holding. What's on your mind? Uh, two things, actually. Uh, one I don't know if I've mentioned to you or not. Uh, it has to do with DNA. I think you said in a previous call about the, because of the counting and the numbers of the alleles or something, that it spells out the word Jehovah in human DNA if you transpose it to letters. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, what do you want to say about that? Or yeah. you want to go on, go to the well, other matter? Which I'm... Thing, what, uh, this is a, a Israeli scientist discovered this. <clears throat> in, in the DNA, you have two strands. 
and they're connected by like little bridges, five little bridges. And I think it's one. And in the first is five amino acids, then there's a bridge, then, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 10, 10 amino acids, then a bridge, then five amino acids, then a bridge, then six amino acids, then a bridge, and then uh, five amino acids again. And all through the DNA chain, that pattern repeats. 10, 5, 6, 5. And those numbers coincide with the Hebrew letters of Yadhei Barhei, which is the abbreviation for Jehovah. Right. So, um, the question I would ask you is, is you ever having something that you have your name on? Oh, yes. Some years back, I bought a little engraving tool, so I'm trying to engrave my name on stuff. <laughs> now I use this paint pens for stuff. It doesn't do any good, Ken. My stuff still disappears, uh, you but I tried. You had a basketball, had your name on it. Oh, you mean like manufactured with my name on it? We call oh, no, it no. I mean, you put your name on it. Oh, yes. I, I put my name on many things. That's right. Yeah, and why would you do that? Hmm. Why'd I do that? Uh, I guess I had a more, ne a more negative thing so someone wouldn't take it or mis misappropriate it because it was mine. As I think that's what you're probably driving well, Basically, at. Mike, what I mine. do is, is I actually sign my name yeah. in the fly leaf of it's each yours, book right? I get. So yeah. that's, that's my book. It's well, yours, so yes. It belongs to you. Right. Okay. So every human being has that pattern in their DNA. It's God's name on it. Therefore, we belong to God. And there is no difference between a Hispanic and a black and a white. They all, we all have God's name. They all have the same pattern. Yes. And in this case, it does, wouldn't matter if that person's a Christian or whatever, or, or an unbeliever. No. They still have that. That's what the point you're making, that all humans are mine. I wonder, Ken, if this applies to animals. Do animals ha have this um, pattern? Do you know? I, I hadn't thought about that till just a minute, till just now. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I mean, of course, and I, I'm playing devil's advocate in a little bit, although I'm not really, I'm not exactly. Uh, playing devil's advocate, because, of course, all the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, too, God says, and the earth is all its fullness is his. So you would expect to see this name, and I think that might not be quite as literal as that, that God's name is written. Well, somebody just texted me an image of a book, um, The DNA Code in the Bible by Stephen Avard, Jr. <clears throat> I've never, I've heard, I think I've heard of that, but I've never read it. You familiar with that book, Ken? The DNA Code, no. In the in the Holy Bible, I didn't know it was. It looks like an older book, but it's interesting. It can't be that old because DNA isn't that old. But um, I mean, I, I believe the truth of what you're saying that every human belongs to God. It is His possession. Therefore, by creation, He has the right to command and to destroy. Uh, human beings because of his because of creation i believe that's true well I think, I think i'm not sure whether the bible would say yeah go look in the dna and you'll see and yet and yet there's two kinds of revelation about god there is the there's the creation according to psalm 19 there's the creation which is evidence from god romans 1 right. and then there is the special revelation of the scriptures which reveal much more about god's nature well that idea of possession i think even comes in other places mike i, I would go back to Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, 
whether good or evil. But notice that fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. This is the whole duty of man. This is the whole, whole man. duty yes. of man. Yeah. And, of course, the Bible says specifically that Christians have been bought with a price. And therefore, we have to glorify God in our body, which I think is his intention for all of human beings. This can, uh, without particularly address, I know I'm not really addressing this Yahweh code, Yahweh code in the DNA, but I think this is the real crux of the debate about abortion, for example, that's on everybody's minds this week. Whose life is I it? I my other verse. Okay. Whose life is it that we're dealing with here? It's my life. I'll do what I want to with it. It's my body. I'll do what I want to with it. And even that life that's in me that isn't exactly mine, I will. I am Lord of that life also. This is the basic humanist attitude uh, that pervades in a lot of places. And I believe that's distinctly and profoundly in error and wrong and at its core. But this is the whole debate. When Satan came to Eve, this is what he told her. You can do what you want. You can be God. Why are you trying to do what this God says? You be God. This is the whole crux of human of human existence down through time and human societies. Who is God? And, and so we're having that debate in our society taking the form of sexual matters with regard to abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism. All of those issues are not of a not about little specific things. They're about the big issue of whose are you? Who do you belong to, if anybody? Who is God? Well, we did it again. What's that? We discussed this before we came here. Yeah, we were talking about this in the car a little bit on the way over here uh, and so forth. I'm going to speak about this subject in a brief way this morning. But anyway, Ken, you, had, you were going to go to this point you said uh, yourself. So what, yeah. what were you going to say? Yeah, let's just go to Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Okay, let me look it up. Uh, unless you have it there, you can read it yourself if you want to. But 30, Deuteronomy 30, what was the verse? Uh, verse 13. 19. 19, sorry. Uh, yep. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. God, this is God speaking to the Hebrews when he established his law. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. This is Moses actually personally speaking. Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and so forth. So this word, by the way, this I, I, that you may love the Lord your God, that word Lord there is this word that you're talking about, Ken, Yahweh, or um, mm -hmm. I, I forgot how you just said it, but the four letters that the, uh, of the makeup we in English it's sometimes translated Jehovah, but that's probably not a good translation. But it's the it's the name of God Yahweh, or something like that. So he says, "You choose life, because I've said it before you, life and death." And he was telling them that if they obeyed him in the land, that he would bless them. If they disobeyed him, he would curse them and drive them out. <clears throat> and. Uh, People have been using this verse a lot this this week or over the years about choosing life. Choose life that you, if you disobey God, you will find cursing and death. Um, this whole um, now I'm going to get this probably anger some people. Perhaps I don't really mean to do it that way. I just mean to make a point. But um, th this whole proposition of abortion and all the other things that go along with it for many years has been called the culture of death because the same people that usually support abortion especially abortion on demand support euthanasia they support eugenics and uh, getting rid of children who are deformed other things like that it's, it's a culture of death and they support getting rid of older people who have outlived their usefulness to society and and um I'm reminded, I write, my wife and I were talking yesterday, I said, honey, and she agrees with me, but I, I said, you, you understand that bi the big picture is this whole thing of killing people is from the devil himself, who is his whole name. The word Satan, his name, and then his description as devil means both diabolical and adversary. 
There were two characteristics. He is against given. man. There were two characteristics given to Satan that's mentioned several times. He's a liar and he's a murderer. Right. He is he is against man and therefore he wants to kill human beings. And I contra- and so I contrast this with the straightforward first commandment that God ever gave any human being in the Bible. Be fruitful and multiply and fill up the earth. God wants more humans, more life, more children, not less, as a general rule. You can debate around the edges of some of that, but that's the general rule of what God says he wanted for man. In fact, he he cursed man in different places because he would not multiply and spread across the face of the earth and have dominion over it. And we always find that, that um, in, in our day and time anyway, especially since this scientific... Uh, atheism has taken hold in Western culture, that this other side of culture always wants fewer humans and more death. And, uh, and the only thing they can talk about life is mean life to them means me doing whatever I want. That's what they mean by life. Life to them is I get to do whatever I want and anything that gets in the way, including another human, is dispensable. So this is the difference in philosophy. One comes from God, life. The other, death, comes from the enemy of man. He is the adversary of man. That's Satan. And I don't say all of these things are somehow miraculous and all, but there is there are forces beyond the visible that are involved in all of these things that animate and give life to all of these ideas. And we need to be we need to think about our belief system as to whether it is one of death or one of life. And then we can then we can begin to debate the specific issues involved in that for our day and time, like particular laws about abortion and so forth, or whatever else it may be. Euthanasia is another big issue. Anyway, go, uh, Ken, make your point. Then uh, someone else asked me to comment about Roe versus Wade being overturned. So I might do that. But go ahead. What do you want to say about this? Ken? And, um, yeah, what I like about this verse is God gives us a choice. Life is full of choices. We can make good choices and be blessed and have life, or we can make bad choices and have cursing and death. And every day of our life, we have the choices to make. And my question is, what choice are you going to make? I'm choosing life and blessing. What are you going to choose? If we have to make a mistake in this in this area, I think we should err on the on the side of life. Whenever we make a decision about yeah. these things, because that's the side win. that God is on. Satan's on the side of death. I'm sorry, I jumped on you there a little bit, Ken. What what, would you, what did you say? It seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it, Mike? Well, it is in a general way. It is, and I think that should be a distinguishing mark of Christianity is that we support life. And, and uh, you know, of course, the progressive answer to that is, well, yeah, but you're all about saving babies, but you don't want to do anything for them afterwards. What they mean by that is you, you, you don't want to do anything that involves a government program for them after life. Someone was saying yesterday, Ken, uh, on one of my a Facebook feed I was reading, oh, this is the wake-up call for Christians to come and do something about all these women who are scared and all that, do they not know already, I put on there, that there are literally, and I'm using the word literally, literally, thousands of clinics and agencies, Christian agencies, all over this country that have been trying for a couple of generations to support women who are frightened and poor and about having a child and find them a way not to kill their baby and ruin their life as well as kill a child. Thousands of them, and the left has done everything they can during that time to shut those places down and cut off any funding to them. physical attack. And physical attack against those agencies. That's who they've been attacking. You say, well, the Christians aren't doing anything. Who do you think these leftists have been attacking the last month with the firebombs? They've been attacking these agencies. And it was specifically said, if you don't cease all your operations of helping these pregnant women, we're going to burn even more places down. So it's a it's a mistake for Christians to say, oh, well, we just haven't done enough. Maybe not. 
But don't act like Christians haven't tried to do something about unwed mothers and and teenagers and women who are poor and threatened with the idea. And the truth is, if Christian teaching was followed, even by Christians, if Christian teaching in the Bible was followed, there'd be far fewer abortions because there'd be far fewer unwed mothers and babies born out of wedlock. And that that would be the one way, that's one way to stop abortion that even Christians sometimes don't seem to agree with, is that stop committing fornication and then there won't be all these unwed. And I know things happen by accident, well, happen to good people. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that there's plenty of it. That's, so many churches that call themselves Christians endorse people living together outside of marriage, and, and they endorse easy divorce where people don't commit to each other that, that produces the fear in having a, a baby. Anyway, I'm well, ranting right now, basically, so stop I, me. I'm, you, you might be making people mad, but I'm really going to make people mad. Christians have not gone to the polls with their Christian values. No. They, and they've been doing it for over 100 years. They have not been doing it. And that's another reason we're in this mess. Of course. Yeah, they, 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 they get focused on some ridiculous issue. That, that Well, most people, Gary, in the United States vote with a simple question in the back of their mind. Where's my check? Yeah. Which candidate is going to give me a check? That's who they vote for, and that's what go, they go to the poll for. What's in it and, for me? Exactly. And who's and which candidate is going to give me something? This is why things have become so corrupt from top to bottom. I do think it's hilarious. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this either. I do think it's hilarious. Hilarious. Um, hmm, that, that is a good Bible word. Uh, it, there is a Greek word, hilarios, which is used in the Bible, and it, it does mean funny in a certain way. But all of these uh, great noble Christians would never, ever cast a vote for that wicked man, Donald Trump. Of course, they would vote for Hillary, who is pure as the driven snow, but, but they would never cast a man, a vote for a man who puts out mean tweets and says, uh, says uh, crazy things. And if it wasn't for that wicked man, you would Roe versus Wade would not be overturned. This is what's truly, truly ignited the rage right now. One of the one of the things that really poured gasoline on it was that Trump was responsible for keeping his word and saying that he would appoint conservative originalist justices, and he did that. And well, guess we, what we, happened? Fifty years of murdering babies has been somewhat diminished. It's not over by any means. It's at least not a national scandal anymore. Yeah, some states, the states now have the right. Of course, to, it's to not. Do what they abortion do. isn't prohibited. The idea, oh, they've ended abortion. That's foolishness. That's people that are ignorant of the law in the first place. That's a lie. Don't know. And it's just simply has been put out as being not, it's just simply not true, whether you believe it in ignorance or, or intentionally. But but it's just ironic to me that this man that so many Christians wouldn't vote for because he's, uh, you know, not in their view a good person is the one who God used to bring about the end of this despicable uh, ruling that was made. It isn't even a law, Gary. It's yeah, a ruling that was made by another Supreme Court. One of the things that we haven't looked at, Mike, is we haven't even begun to see the results of close to, I think, nearly 200 conservative uh, judges that have been placed in the lower courts. He placed more conservative judges in the courts than any president in the history that I can, that I've got any data for. Well, I think that's right. And, and so I'm not going to defend the things that he's done that are bad uh, or said, but I am going to say, I think it's pretty ironic that it happened the way that it did and, and so forth. You know, Gary, I just have to say, fundamentally, you can ask Somebody texted and what do you think, how do you feel about overturning Roe versus Wade? Well, I'll give you what I think about it as well as what I feel about it. I distinguish those two things. I think 63 million babies dead is enough. Okay? It's plenty. We've killed 63 million Americans in the last 50 years. You know, did you know, Gary, that more black children have been killed? More black people have been put to death by abortion than every other disease you can think of. Heart disease, AIDS, uh, 
sickle cell anemia, you name it, police brutality. Every other cause of death is dwarfed among black people by abortion. That's a shame. That, that's, that's a shame. And yet they want to now say that if you, are, if you don't support abortion, that you're racist. Really? That's hard to comprehend. Or that we're going to have people, that people are going to die now as if they weren't dying before. It's just which people it's are just, dying. Yes. The ones that are inconvenient to me are dying and the rest, are, you know, I, I, it's incredible. Now, look, you can still have the opposite opinion about that, but don't be so disingenuous as to act like people are now going to start dying. People have been dying. And, and many of these people support killing these babies after they're born. Yes. Many of our politicians do. So it's not about even the unborn. They don't mind telling you now they support killing these babies if they're unwanted. See, there's the there's the human autonomy. There's that devilish thing. There's that I am God thing. The only thing that the difference between a woman who celebrates a baby being an abortion and one who mourns over a miscarriage. And there's plenty of women on Facebook. They have they have all this uh, all this depression over a miscarriage, but they celebrate their abortion. What's the only difference there? The only difference is the will of that woman. She wanted one. She didn't want the other. That baby's life is zero in the equation. It's only what the woman wants. It's very <clears throat> difficult to find anything more selfish, self-centered than to kill or to not consider it to be a life just based solely on what you prefer. And so like a Roman dictator in the, gla- in the, in the games, the, the, up, the vestal virgins, down. they get to say, women today get to say thumbs up or thumbs down. I'm going to read a sermon later today, a Roman historian that says that the paterfamilias, the father of the family, had the right to decide whether any child would live or die. Ooh, it's horrible. That's patriarchy. Oh, really? Where are we today? Where are we today with many of these same people who hate the patriarchy so much? Yeah, I'm just, they say that the woman gets to decide who lives or who dies. Well, What's the difference? Not just the woman. Basically, some of the descriptions I've seen is basically the child will be born, will make the child comfort comfortable, and then the child's mother and the doctor will decide. Will decide what to do about it. Will decide. What and then we want to say, well, how come men don't step up to the plate? Well, they can't. They legally can't step up to the plate. They have no say in any of these matters. They've been eliminated by the feminism, any say in these matters, and so they can step up to the plate. But anyway, here, here's the, the real thing. Uh, so I was thinking about it. I, I don't know what, how you define murder any different than that. I, the intentional taking of a life is, is murder. murder. Uh, now, I, I, unless God authorizes it, for example, or the, the law allows it through, uh, through like capital punishment, but there is a reason for a person being put to death. They don't just arbitrarily pick out. When, when well, the then, old word to decimate, you know what the idea of decimate something is? Count off by tens, every tenth man is put to death. You know, well, that's but, de- that's a execution without a reason. But. Basically, the definition of murder is the illegal taking of a life. And so that's what they're wanting to do. They want to make it legal to do that. Yeah, they've made it legal. Now, as far as the actual decision, Roe versus Wade, the truth of the matter is, and I haven't heard any defense of this in any way constitutionally, this was a was a poor decision from the beginning, just like the decision in the 1800s about uh, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, the Dred Scott decisions about the value of people. They, they were unconstitutional. You could agree or disagree with the results of them, but they were unconstitutional decisions, and they were eventually overturned. Okay, This was an unconstitutional usurpation of power by the federal government in 1971. And and um, I think it was 71. No, maybe wrong. I think it's 73. It's 73. And because I was in uh, just I was in college, but it was a usurpation of power. And it was only a matter of time before somehow it was overturned to say that this is therefore settled law to argue that, well, it was settled law should never be overturned. These same people have to argue that that the laws about slavery should never be overturned because that was settled law and and uh, all that kind of thing. It's a ludicrous. Supreme courts have continually overturned other decisions. Well, so that's you, foolishness legally to say you, that. If you go back into what Ruth Bader Ginsburg actually said, and I believe wrote, she said it was an incorrect decision from a from a law standpoint. from a legal standpoint. Even 
one of his greatest proponents, said it was a bad decision. And, and my point of all along would be, and, and here's the only thing I'm saying now about this, all that this decision does is return this decision to state and local governments where the people have a more direct say about it. And that by itself in the United States, Gary, is not going to satisfy some people because some people want a national decision about everything. They want total control by the federal government of every aspect of life. They believe in a totalitarian kind of control from the top down. But it won't satisfy, and they're not happy today. Other people are not going to be happy because some states like New York, Illinois, California, are going to pass very liberal abortion laws and take in all the people from other states who want abortions. So we're going to have this nation where two these two different worlds exist. I think, truthfully, I think that's the constitutional way that things ought to be in the United States. There ought to be that choice. And over time, then, that puts the onus on the backs of the people. If they don't want things to be a certain way in their state or locality, they've got to vote for the right people to change those laws by popular choice and by legislative or by legislative process. Legislatures are popular choices. The choices well, that legislatures make are from the, the people. The fact that ev everybody out there that's against this says this is the end of democracy. Actually, this is the beginning, this is the beginning of democracy. The, see, once again, they say exactly the opposite of what is true uh, when they talk about this. This is the beginning of where people now – and truth is I was alive before 1973, and you were too, Gary, and abortion was an, an issue. Was it this flashpoint, life-or-death burn down buildings kind of issue in 1968, seven. No, it wasn't. But once the sexual revolution took over in the late 60s, it became more and more of an issue among various states because it was a symbol of sexual freedom that, that women should be able to have sex and pe people should be able to have sex and be able to get rid of the results of the sex with no consequences. This is about having sex without consequences. That's what it's about. God didn't design the universe that way that sex has no consequences, and therefore we're trying to pass laws that go against the whole grain of the universe, the way God made the world. But but it wasn't this, this kind of an issue. But once Roe was put in place and liberals celebrated, they ign slowly ignited a movement that overturned all this. I'll tell you what else has happened. In this, I'm going to get off track a little bit. And that well, is science has marched forward. We now know that this these artificial periods of at 16 weeks or 12 weeks, whatever, are completely erroneous. Survivability outside the womb at, at 24 weeks is what it was in the beginning. Uh, that's all – or that, that embryos are just a clump of cells. Since Roe v. Wade, we now know it. We have ultrasounds. We have MRIs. We have CAT scans. We have DNA, which proves that the fetus is not the mother, not just a part of the mother's body because it has different DNA. So we have lots – science has marched forward and shown this is an – all the assumptions of Roe v. Wade are wrong, and fi we finally caught up with that. So let, let the states and localities pass the laws that those people living there at that time can live with, and um, I, I, I can be content with that on one level. Yes, it, it's just, I can be content. With it's that. just interesting to me that when I when I read the Bible and this doesn't really prove anything, Mike, but I read the Bible and I looked up some phrases. How many times a woman is said to be with child? It, well, that's one of the words I'm going to talk about this morning. There's no difference in the word in the Bible from the word with child than the child is born so, later. Yeah. When the when the when Mary came uh into the presence of Elizabeth, who already was carrying John the Baptist. Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Mary said to her in Luke 1, when you came in, the babe, the King James word is babe, leapt, it leapt in my womb. She felt a sudden movement of this child in her womb when Mary entered the room. The word for babe there is brephos. When you go a little bit later in the New Testament and it says, unto you a child will be born, same word. Later, when the when the shepherds go yeah, and are yeah. told, "Go here's your sign. You're going to go into the town of Bethlehem. You're going to find a babe lying in a manger." You never guess which word it is. 
same one. The same one that was used for Jesus and John the Baptist in the womb is used of them when they are born. Now that's the, and then Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. Guess what word he used? Same word. Same word, okay, for an unborn child and a child. In the Bible, in the New Testament, there is no difference in the way those words are used. And so for us to make an artificial distinction that one is a child, one is not a child, or that we can kill one and not the other, is simply not biblical. Now, politically, we're going to have a lot of different opinions about that. I'm content for the time being for for democracy, actually, is the will of people to be expressed. And once again, the will of the people may be wrong, and God will judge those places. He will judge those states and localities that allow the killing of children. He doesn't have to judge the whole United States, maybe, from this point forward. It may take a while, and it'll be in different ways. <laughs> you know what the most ironic thing about this is, Gary? People say they're going to move. We have more liberal abortion laws in the United States than they do in Europe. There's only like one country in Europe that has has uh, uh, more more expansive abortion laws, even well, in Germany and Sweden. But that's not this, what we're being told. Oh, no, this, 12, this 12-week law that was being objected to in this Mississippi case, that is perfectly within the range of laws in Europe. It's it's in the, it's perfectly acceptable in all the European countries that no abortions after that time. But we're being told we're the barbarians. People say they hate America. We have uh, we have American performers in Europe this weekend chanting to the crowd, getting the child crowds in Europe to chant "F America," you know, American musical performers, and, and so forth because of this law. And so here Europeans are doing it, ignorant, must be rock and roll Europeans chanting about this when they don't even know the laws in their own country. I, I, don't, I think it's, uh, okay. Well, so, that's, that's part of the problem we have here. People don't even know what the actual laws but, are. For when, I was in, when I was a young person in high school, I know I heard of cases of, in, I grew up in Ohio, which had moderately restrictive abortion laws before Roe v. Wade as a state. People were, would go from Ohio <clears throat> to New York, it, and the cost was X number of dollars, and people would help you pay for that to go to New York and have an abortion. And people that I've heard of or knew did that. Went to abor- They had to go to New York to have an abortion. That's, that's what we may be returning to that. They weren't going into the back alleys of Cincinnati and having abortions then. And now there's even more, a greater network of people that are going to help these young girls to get an abortion. You know, the thing that also troubles me is this liberal notion that when a girl has an abortion, everything is fine. The data and the psychologists will tell you when a woman kills her baby, she kills herself. She has to she she is also deadened inside. And so even the stars that talk about even the women who came out recently under celebrate your abortion or whatever it is, when you read what they actually wrote, they talk about the terrible problems that they felt. And the problems they've had since that time. Now, they're still in favor of abortion, but it wasn't an easy, carefree process. The other thing that's often overlooked, Gary, uh, I think a high percentage, if not most abortions today, don't occur in clinics. They occur by people taking pills. That's that poisoning true. their baby. Well, they're causing they're, contractions to get rid of their baby. There's some indication that that might or might not be true. I, I read just the day before yesterday. Um, basically, I think it was, or maybe it was yesterday, I think it was yesterday, that um, Planned Parenthood claims that only 3% of their business is abortions. Only 3% of what they do is abortion. And yet, already, they have closed something like two dozen clinics now stop and think about I that for, for a minute. Yeah. We're, we're going to see about all this other marvelous health care that Planned Parenthood was supposedly giving in, real soon here. Why, why are we, why are we why closing, are they closing the, clinics, the clinics if that's only 3% of their business? Well, there's been a real shift. in the. It, they talk about Americans are evenly divided over this. I'm not so sure about that. It's hard to believe any poll that you read if it doesn't go in the favor of a leftist or, or a Democrat. But the truth is... Uh, in many states, like the one in Mississippi, the case in Mississippi, that was the only remaining clinic in Mississippi. Oh, yeah, I just got reminded Ken is still on the phone. <laughs> Ken, I'm sorry I got distracted here. 
Did you want to finish yeah. what you were saying? I apologize. I thought that you were not there anymore. Yeah, let me let me make a, a final comment. Um, All right, I'm I'm very sorry. I apologize to you. Yeah, uh, as far as what Gary just said, yeah, they three percent of their business is is abortion, but fifty percent of their money, over fifty percent of their money is from abortion. Yeah, so they're making fifty percent of their income from abortion. Even only three percent is, uh, even only three percent is the actual percentage of business. Huh, interesting. Now, I want to say um, some, uh, about, I don't know, six weeks ago, I told someone that, and this was on the radio, another radio program, I said uh, that abortion is a curse in the United States, and it's particularly for the black community. And when if the black community doesn't stop supporting abortion, more children are going to die in the cities from gunshots. Two weeks after I said that, black children's deaths was up 20%. Yeah. And yet you're the racist for saying yeah. something like uh, If I bring it up, I'm a racist for bringing it up, even though it's an actual fact. I'm saying this because yeah. abortion was originally created. One of the reasons it became popular in the United States was, was for eugenics, Ken. Say that again. 19 million blacks have been aboard, aborted since Roe v. Wade. Over 19. Oh, I know. I, it's amazing. It's incredible. Do you want to take a guess on how many blacks have been shot by police in that time? <laughs> a few hundred, maybe. Less? No, it's a lot more than that. But total. I'm well, total shooting. Oh, you mean total. Bad shooting. Not just unarmed unjust not unjustifiable yeah. deaths okay the total number of shootings of blacks that have been killed by police is about 4200 i think 4200 maybe it's 42000 42000 that's a we are uh, it's, it's completely what what I, what I wish i get people to see is that the real justification for abortion uh, is behind, is then the idea of eugenics is in controlling the undesirable population, and that includes the unwanted children. And they buy idea that if you're a foster child, it's a bad life and so forth. So e even that decision, it's a bad one. Um, I, here are four possible situations with abortion. You got to decide. Number one, the fetus is a human person, and we know it. If we know that the fetus is a human person, then abortion could not be acceptable. And the number two alternative, the fetus is a person, but we aren't sure. Could be, a, could be a human person, but we're not sure if it is. So how can abortion be acceptable since we don't know if it's a person? People say, well, we don't know. Well, can you uh, blow up a building if you don't know it's empty? You know, you don't, we don't allow that in any place else in society to go ahead and kill things even though we don't know. Or third, the fetus is not a human person, but we aren't sure. So it could be that a fetus is just a clump of cells, but we really don't know that. It's very difficult for us to know that sometimes. So how can that be? That's at best irresponsible to kill it. Or fourthly, the human per fetus is not a person and we know it. That would be the only situation where abortion would be justifiable morally, in my view, that if the fetus is not a human person and we know that it's not, that cannot be proven or shown to be true. In fact, everything we know scientifically says that's not true, that the human, per, human the fetus is a human person. And, of course, the Bible says it is. So and, and, and that's when, the only justifiable reason. Well, but there is a question of when it becomes a human person, and I believe that's at conception. Yeah, well, and we, we once again, we can't prove that 100 percent, but I believe that that's, that's exactly right. And and so you have to deal with it. So what what liberals are now saying is that we know it's a human, but we have a right to kill it if we want to, because it's a life worth killing. Well, our time is gone today. We appreciate Ken. We're sorry we're going to have to close it out here. I appreciate you calling and hang on, Jerry, for calling. Thank you very much for those who texted in. We want to, like to invite you to join us at the Church of Christ and Vulnerable for our worship services beginning here just a little bit, about 10 minutes after 10. We have Bible class. And we have worship at 11 with the Lord's Supper and preaching. 
2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. We'd like to have you join us. You'll find just, a, just Christians, and we're not going to ask you for money. We'd also like to have you take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Take a look that, at that and get a hold of us. We hope you'll tune in again next week, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.